cybercrime, macroeconomic conditions, ESG reporting. You can't predict the future, but you can prepare for it. By understanding your risk, you can make your business resilient to challenges on the road ahead. What's more, you can turn those risks into opportunities. EY helps CFOs, boards, and audit committees see beyond the numbers to uncover the critical insights that make their organizations resilient, even in an ever-shifting landscape. For more insights that matter, visit ey.com slash beyond the numbers. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Masters in Business with Barry Ritholtz on Bloomberg Radio. This week on the podcast, I say it every week, but it's true, I have an extra special guest. His name is Darren Palmer. He is the head of electric vehicle development at Ford, where he helped to introduce such vehicles as the Mustang Mach-E, the F-150 Lightning, the E-Transit van, they are working on everything from an electric explorer. If you would like to get your hands on an electrified Bronco, well, you better listen to this because this is absolutely a fascinating conversation, not just about cars, but about technology and software and consumer relations and design. And really, I don't think there's an area we didn't touch on. Uh, I found it utterly, utterly intriguing, and I think you will also. So with no further ado, this is Ford's Director of Electric Vehicle Development, Darren Palmer. This is Masters in Business with Barry Ritholtz on Bloomberg Radio. My extra special guest this week is Darren Palmer, He is the general manager of battery electric vehicles at Ford. He is overseeing Ford's $30 billion shift to electrification. He helped launch the Mustang Mach-E, the E-Transit, and the F-150 Lightning. He holds an MBA from Henley Management College in the UK, as well as an electrical electronics and technology degree from Birmingham University, Darren Palmer, welcome to Bloomberg. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start with your background. You you get an engineering degree in the 1990s. Was the plan always to go into automobile manufacturing, or, or, or were you focused on a different sector? Well, it sounds so long ago now when you say the 90s. Um, yeah, so my plan was always to go into engineering. I think a lot of people in engineering know that they're destined for that. I really liked mechatronics at the time. Um, So the fusion of electronics and electrical with creating movement as well. So I knew I wanted to to go into something of complex engineering. And I think somebody once said to me, uh, you know, planes take too long. Trains don't have as much interest, but cars are constantly changing over and they're a huge purchase in people's lives. So that's what made me look towards cars. And I, I looked at a number of car companies uh, but I, I think I, I always knew I wanted to go into auto. And I got a few offers. But Ford was a, the type of company that had a great reputation. And, and furthermore, 
makes cars for everybody. And I was interested in making cars for everybody, not just a privileged few. Huh, really interesting. And, and you have a reputation as a, a petrol head. You're a Mustang guy. What led you to gravitate toward EVs over the, these years? Well, I've, I've been very lucky in this career, 29 years in Ford. And every time the last challenge finished, they offered me another challenge. So I ended up working all over the world on every type of cars, vans, commercials, every class, B, C, C, D class cars are increasingly larger and then luxury. And, and every all around the world, India, China, South America, US, um, Australia. So, uh, and at one point I had plants on four continents, uh, five continents and development center on four continents. So all of those different parts of experience led me to, um, I was starting to work on hybrids. And uh, the company said, we want to do something different. Uh, we need to have a completely new approach to electric cars because we were trying and we were getting nowhere. They decided they to do something called Team Edison. And, and they asked, with my background of international and really open-mindedness was the key there. We formed a team called Team Edison um, to determine the future of electric cars for Ford. So that... That was about four four years ago, and that was or four and a half, and that was my move into electric cars. T tell us about Team Edison. Obviously, a little bit of a uh, a, a reference to to uh, a famous American entrepreneur. What what is Team Edison at Ford? So, what was happening was um, we were trying to develop electric cars, but they were being measured by the same measures as gas cars, so they wouldn't meet the hurdles, the investment hurdles, the profit hurdles, the volume predictions. So we were getting nowhere. And we, we in fact, we were going to make Ford Focus their version two. And we knew that it was becoming increasingly um, aware that that really isn't what the market wanted. So we had to change something and we knew it was a cultural change. So uh, we decided, we either buy an electric car company, but then you have to transfer tens of thousands of people in one day, or we try something different. We try, we create a startup within Ford Motor Company, and then that's what we decided to do. So a gent called Ted Canis, a really one of our top business leaders, was, was put in as the head of that group, and he set about recruiting people, internal and external, to head up Team Edison. I was the first one in, and when he told me the proposal, um, he convinced me to come in, and, and that's where the journey started. And we had some external people, but not a huge amount, because it's all about, first, you've got to work out what to do, and then you've got to make it happen in a 100-year-old company. And I can tell you, <laughs> making it happen was harder than determining what to do. So we, so we, we formed, and we moved ourselves outside of the main buildings and we formed a, a, a different culture, really building it up from the ground. We had about 70 to 80 people handpicked each one and we were inspired by startups in California. So we spent time there early on to determine how they work, which is very different. And we set up a culture extremely similar to that. We also went to China, to Norway, where electric cars were prevalent to see what others are doing. And then we, we set about determining where to go. At the time, it was an $11 billion investment in electric wow. cars. 
It's now today announced a few days ago to 50 billion now by 2020. Wow, I, I have 30 so, billion down in my notes, but 50 is a lot of money. The Team Edison, the first project, was that the Mustang or was it later? Was Team Edison after the Mustang Mach-E? So the first thing to do was to determine where to play and how to win. And that meant we had to first understand, I mean, for the whole portfolio, was that the time was $11 billion. So three or four cars uh-huh. coming through and the battery infrastructure and the charging infrastructure and all those things we had to do. So it was actually to work out where to play and how to win. And we quickly worked out. We went to California and I was talking to customers in California and quizzing them about their cars. And I det- we determined quite quickly that they had transitioned to Bev and they would never come back. They were also delighted with their products. And it felt like they'd moved from a flip phone to a smartphone, like an iPhone or similar. And at any price, they would never move back, which was very similar to the phone analogy. And I asked one of them, I offered them, hey, you know, we need your car for testing. So I'll give you, I'll give you a free BMW M3 and two-thirds of your money back. And he said, I'm not interested. I said, how, really? okay, how can that be? I said, well, I... I'm, off, I'm authorized to offer you 100% of your money back and a free BMW M3. He said, I'm not interested. And I said, how can that be? And he said, well, because I've discovered the future. Um, I can afford it and I deserve it. And I, we realized at that point, you, these people, are never, they're never going to buy the traditional vehicles that we had. They're buying a technology product. And we brought that realization back and said, we complete, need to completely change our plan. Huh. And and that led us to leading with our icons. So we made a plan of which vehicles to attack in which order. And, and we made the strategic choice that every BEV vehicle from Ford will do things that gas never did, enabled by the technology. So none of them will be a car just with an electric motor in it. That's not what customers want. So, and, that, and that's what we did in the first thing we did in Team Edison, um, which was $11 billion and made the first three cars, the Mustang Mach-E, which you may have seen one uh, um, recommended, the only electric car recommended in America. And now, the last, last week, and then e-transit um, is now just launching. We're nearly sold out already. And wow. it is likely to be a leader in its field. It's already nearly 50% global in its field now with a gas vehicle. And then the F-150 Lightning, which is, of course, the big one for us, um, where we, we've got over 220,000 orders now. We had to switch the system off. When cyber criminals strike, the difference between a catastrophic event and resilience is preparedness. Finance leaders who plan ahead can thwart the damage posed by ransomware. Yet in a recent EY poll, only 23% of directors expressed confidence in their organization's ability to respond to a ransomware attack. Cyber preparedness is just one facet of the complex risk landscape finance leaders face every day. Now more than ever, it's vital to keep ahead of developments. Cybercrime, macroeconomic conditions, ESG reporting. You can't predict the future, but you can prepare for it. By understanding your risk, you can make your business resilient to challenges on the road ahead. What's more, you can turn those risks into opportunities. 
EY helps CFOs, boards, and audit committees see beyond the numbers to uncover the critical insights that make their organizations resilient, even in an ever-shifting landscape. For more insights that matter, visit ey.com slash beyond the numbers. So let's talk about those three big cars that, that you oversaw the launch on, starting with the Mustang Mach-E, which won a number of awards. I had a loaner of those cars last, uh, uh, last year and, and thought it was a really interesting and very well-made EV. Tell us about the challenges you ran into when you were first thinking about putting that car out. Uh, it really uh, was a substantial break from what Ford had done in the past. Yeah, so we had originally planned a Focus Bev Part 2, um, but we quickly realized due to human-centric work we were doing, and human-centric work puts you out with customers very early, and you just talk with them about how they feel about things. That you know, You're not asking them exactly what they want. You're just talking about, to them about their lives and what they see. We discovered pretty quickly what they were looking for in this next generation was a technology product first. And, you know, there's one company out there which is really doing that, which is Tesla. They've been a leader in that space. And we noticed how customers of those vehicles were, um, they, they really liked the experience they got. And we said, we in that vehicle we're going to make, it needs to be a technology-first vehicle. But we want to bring, what is our spin on that? What is Ford? What does Ford bring to the table? Tesla have their attributes, but Ford need to have their own. And, and we said to ourselves, um, what brands do we have that could be worthy of what we're going to make and that could be synergistic? So the one that came to mind pretty quickly was Mustang. And, and the first time we said that, it sounded um, crazy. You know, and, and some people were very shocked by that. So we we asked ourselves, what if it was a Mustang? And then we we started with the exterior design, actually. And we went downstairs to the design team who were working on a Focus Bev Part 2. And I could tell you they weren't the most fired up. And then we said, what if? And again, they you know they started to come to the table. And we said, what if we mixed? It's going to be a, an SUV because that's the segment growth, uh, the greatest segment growth and where customers are going, especially millennial. So we wanted it to be there. We knew that. So it's, we're there, therefore, we're talking about an SUV Mustang. What might it look like? And and in that first day, they started sketching, and we put together some of the Mustang cues with that SUV, and then we started to like what we saw. And then we we that they, the designers got lost in it, and then said, "Okay, leave us." We left them, and then they said, "We're going to make a clay of that vehicle." And so we went away for the weekend, and we came back early six five six a.m. on Monday morning, and we said, "Don't look at it." We walked away and they were putting Dynock onto it, which is the kind of silver foil that simulates a vehicle. And when we all turned around and we saw that first execution, we said, oh, my oh my word, that, that can work. That could work. That was on the first weekend. That's amazing. Um, and we said, my word, that could work. And, and by the way, the, the designers had gone from not the most excited to off the wall excited. Could, didn't have time to talk to us, just busy creating. They immediately took the Dynock off again and started carrying on with the clay and they were off. So we went to the next department and we went interior 
and and we you said what have we got? They showed us, and we said, yeah, that doesn't really look. Yes, yeah, not a Mustang. It's not worthy of that. And and then we said, how would you change it? It was a Mustang, and same thing happened. They started to get excited. By the way, both of them, the exterior designers and the interior, were both the people who did Mustang. So we didn't need to explain to them what a Mustang was. It was the same people. And they started to bring a lot of those cues in. So they, they kicked off. They were same same excitement. We went to the next department and we said, we need technology. And that was a problem. We went and said, what have we got that would be a high-tech, tech-forward solution that is over-the-air updatable and will work for years to come and upgrade it and i'm afraid we didn't have anything our system at the time was just not going to do the job so that was the biggest challenge for us and and we we went downstairs to the development team and and, and we said in team medicine we work without grade structure all together on the problems and anybody can speak up without fear of anything reprise or any, anything so we encourage people to speak up so we pulled together, we went downstairs to the to the main team and we worked, asked the programmers who were working on Verifor to come into a room and we shut the door, we explained how we work, anyone can speak up. And I said to them, hey guys, we, we need a next-gen operating system that's world-class on this car. It's launching in two and a half years. How, how might we do that? And uh, they were silent for a while, people take time to, before they're comfortable. And one of them said, not working the way we work. I said, that's interesting. How would you do that then? They said, you'd have to work like a software company. And we said, like what? Well, they work in one room with the designers, the human machine interface and the programmers in one team together with the equipment they need, the facilities they need and the funding they need without, frankly, management interference. And I said, what if we do that? And they said, we're never going to do that here. I said, well, what if we said we'd give you everything you want? Could you do that? They said, well, if you could do it, then then yes, we would. And I said, well, if, would you start Monday if we could do that? They said, yes. <laughs> I, and then I said, uh, and I never forget this. It, it made me laugh. I said, hey, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. How do I know that you actually know how to do that? And he said, John, John, sh- show him, John. And so he looks over <laughs> to the other gentleman. He puts down his Dell laptop. And he pulls out an Alienware from his side bag. And as he's opening it, um, Tom says to him, yeah, he's just come back from a gaming convention in South Korea. I'm like, oh, okay. And he then shows me some of the things they worked on and they've, they have. And it looked like something out of Marvel. And I'm like, oh, okay, I got it. <laughs> you guys know. So we then went upstairs and we went to our leadership team and we said, we, you know, we really we're into big trouble. We need this system in two and a half years and the team, you know, can't do it the way they work. And he said, well, have you got a proposal? We said, yeah, um, we have to work in a different way and, and we need maybe $7 million of immediate funding to just fund everything they need. So um, the, 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 he said, okay, just do it. Do it now. So, okay. So went upstairs to the VP of engineering and we said the same thing. He said, start now, get on with it. So we went back down to the team that evening and said, we're ready to go. Please start. Um, and Monday morning they started. And what I'd learned from many of the startups, the way to work nimble is that leaders serve the employees yep. who, who, are, who are creating for the customer. 
My job is to clear the path in front of them. So I went every morning. What do you need today? We need better computers. Do you know where to get them? Yes. Go and buy them now. What else do you need? Uh, you know, we need some screens that emulate the screens we're building for. Good. Go and buy them. Do you know how to get them? Yes. I can buy them in Best Buy. Go and buy them now. And they were delighted to have that ability. And then the next day I asked, what do you need? Hey, we need a server computer to serve some of the interfaces. Okay, you, you give it to them. And then the, the third day, they said, what do you need? They said, oh, pizza and coffee. Kind of joking. <laughs> okay, you get pizza and coffee. What else do you need? The answer is, what do you need? You get it. And, and they'd never worked like that in Ford. And then the fourth day, what do you need? Nothing. Just leave us alone. Okay. <laughs> Fifth day, what do you need? Something else. And so on. We just kept doing that. And then we'd created no presentations. When they want to demonstrate something, they just showed it to us. And it, the progress was, I've never seen anything like it in my, in my career. Within two weeks, they had running prototypes that were touchable interfaces that they had created. One of them created the main interface, you know, while he was working off-site at home, and he decided to create it in HTML5, the internet, the main, main language for websites, because that was convenient to create. And he had a complete working interface in two weeks. And because it was HTML5, it could reconfigure like a web page does, which most cars do not do. And then, and then within three weeks, they were testing it with customers in Chicago and streaming it live while the whole team watched the customers. Wow. And at one point, a customer got caught up on some of the interface. And, and the guy said, hey, can you fix that? And he corrected the code live, redeployed, and because it was live fed from a server, it updated the interface in the hands of the customer who then was not caught on it and we could carry on with the work. I'd never seen anything like it. They did three rounds of that testing, live watching customers in Europe, in China, and in US. And in 12 weeks, created an all new interface, which you know is getting extremely good reports now from Consumer Reports and, and JD Power, one, one of the best car interfaces in the world. So it was incredible. I've never seen anything like it in my career. And I learned a lot through that process. And last year, uh, uh despite the pandemic and despite um, the supply issues, I think you guys sold something like 27,000 uh, Mustangs. Is, is is that right in the U.S.? Yes, um, a little bit more. And, and we were nearly 50,000 globally from the same plant. Um, we're completely sold out. Um, and um, we're, we're trying to, to meet that demand. We're, what we've actually, we're actually... We've agreed and we have funded and we're going to increase production to over 200,000. Wow, that's um, a huge, that's a huge in, number. So yeah, the Mach-E Mach is very much a crossover. Are there any plans to electrify the traditional Mustang pony car, the, the two-door sports car? So I get that asked that one a lot. So the next cars along... We, after we've done the Lightning, is the um, three-row car, so the size of an Explorer, that type of car. That's the mm -hmm. next one along. We've, we've already announced that one. And then we have a lot of calls for other cars. You can imagine there's huge calls for an electric Bronco. Got to be. Right. And, and there's others which we haven't announced yet. I mean, we've got a $50 billion roadmap of many cars, including Lincolns. Um, the, the, the Mustang Sports Coupe, and that needs 
a, a, lo- a very low battery to make that to what we want it to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we have quite high aspirations for what we would want that to be. And so we're only going to do that when the technology will allow. We know customers really want, they want over 300 miles. It makes That makes them comfortable and happy. And that's always been a product that has punched above its weight right. and gives performance of normally much more expensive cars. We're, and with the whole... Um, imagery of Mustang. So we're not, we're not doing it yet. We're not we have nothing to, nothing to declare on the timing of that yet. We, we're going to do it, but we'll only do it when the technology allows us to make it incredible. You know, the the Mach-E has, by all measures, been a wild success. Uh, if there's any fly in the ointment, and this kind of surprised me, it was all the pushback uh, on the Mach-E over the Mustang name. What you're a Mustang guy. What was your reaction? to the sort of, uh, you know, old-school enthusiasts who were inf- offended by a crossover w- using the name Mustang? Well, I, I understand. I very much understand it. Um, I'm extremely active on listening on social media. It was something we learned along the way. Startups do it all the time. Uh, and from the first weekend we launched, we were watching social media live. And somebody, you know, for example, had a problem on the first Saturday and we asked permission to speak to them and we contacted them, which they loved and we fixed it. So I'm extremely aware of negative feedback from current owners. So what I set off about doing a year ago was talking to lots of them. And we actually brought in the, um, the presidents of both Mustang clubs and, um, amazing guys. And we brought them actually to the launch, um, in uh, California and uh, they, we brought them along and they came to see me and said, Darren, listen, you know, I understand what you're doing, but I can't really endorse it. The, and, um, you know, I just wanted to let you know, but I do appreciate what you're doing here. So that was at the beginning, at the end of the two days, w- one of them bought two and one of them bought one. <laughs> that, that's and, really um, interesting. And they said, wow. Yeah. And, and, and they said, so listen, this vehicle supports, the other Mustang. We couldn't be selling the V8 Mustang very much longer without the support of these EVs. So it protects the current Mustang. By the way, we still sell the current Mustang. So it's a companion. It's growing the brand into, in a new space. And I can't tell you the joy of these, of the customers. Literally 91% of them recommend it to friends and families and, and everyone will listen to them. So, we, that's the highest satisfaction car I've, I'm ever aware of that we've had. Well, we've I'll got tell some you, nice cars people love. I'll tell you personally, having sat in you know everything that's out there, um, and having had the Mach E, the sort of middle, not the GT, the middle of the of the road version for a week, I came away very impressed with the build quality, the fit and finish. It just felt like a substantial vehicle that was well-made and was, I don't want to say luxurious, but it, it kind of reminded me of a Volvo where everything is very well put together, very well thought out. There's a degree of minimalism in it that was very effective, uh, and it very much had its own personality. I, I came away really impressed with that and want to try a GT out and see what, what the higher horsepower is like. But... You know the Mustang. Everybody knows a lot about the the sexy new uh, 
hotness is the 150 Lightning. Uh, the Ford F-150 has been the best-selling vehicle in America for, I don't know, 40 years running, some crazy number. You must have very, very high uh, hopes and expectations for the Lightning. Tell us a little bit about the development of that vehicle. Yeah, the, the, the Mackie was is like a practice compared to the Lightning. So um, we are very aware of Lightning uh, F-150 status as America's number one vehicle for over four decades. And the love for that product is indescribable. I, I know that because I see the customers talking. So when we started that project, we knew what was ahead of us. And everyone was warning us, you, you better make sure that vehicle's worthy. <laughs> so what people expected is built for tough. And of course, it's been punished as every piece is the same as the gas. It will pass all of the things the gas does. Of course it does. And if we put it down Silver Creek, which is hideous, to be honest. We, we have robots drive them now because it's too, it's too brutal for humans in an accelerated test. That's how brutal they are now. And all the F-150s do that, but so does the Lightning. It, we've made a battery case system that's impervious and can go underwater. And it, it, it ha- we know it has to be tough and reliable, and that's, that's a given. But what people didn't expect is that, is that mantra that we put forward. Every electric car from Ford has to do things that gas could never do because that's what attracts people in. We're, we're aware, you know, we, we believe this could be the vehicle that attracts mainstream America into BEVs. Because I can tell you, 30 seconds in the driver's seat will convert the most hardened V8 enthusiast into a wow. Because it it feels like a magic carpet when you drive off. Because it's an isolated subframe, no vibrations at all, near silence. You're waiting for the noise to come. And then you look at the speedometer and you're at 60 miles an hour and there's no noise. It's quieter than my than a navigator uh, yeah, uh, compared to. It's amazing, and because there's one gear, and the accelerator pedal reacts in a fraction of a second, it, it, it's unbelievable. Even that most hardened electric enthusiast, and I had some really amazing journalists in there. Re- they're ready to be amazed, and they come away and say, "Oh my god, I was ready, and I'm still amazed," huh. because it thumps you in the back like. It had 775 foot-pound of torque in a fraction of a second with one gear. I can't really describe that. And you think, and you're ready for it. You say, yeah, I'm ready. But it surprises you and you just want more. And so the great thing about it is it, you, you can show customers in a few seconds and you've converted them. That's all it takes. You don't need to describe anymore. And that's going to do a lot for electric vehicles. And so... Because we have a huge dealer network, I'm able to put one, I've decided to put one in every dealer in, in America that's an EV dealer, which is pretty much all of them, so that people can go down there and try it. And the dealers are going to call their customers, and those who say, hey, electric's not for me, they're going to say, good, good, come along, here's the keys, and <laughs> see what you say after you've driven it. And, I, and I've, I've tried it out on the most hardened people I can find, and they all, and they all it opens their eyes hugely. Um, I did the same with Mustang, by the way. I found the most V8 petrol in the veins, gas in the veins, 
enthusiasts I could find. And I gave them a Mackey and said, try that. And and they went away. And I, I'm not interested. I don't, uh, I'm not interested in these things. You know, I'm always going to love gas. I, all my life, I do racing. I, I hear you, I hear you. I give them a Mackey GT Performance Edition. And they come back three hours later with their mouth open <laughs> and say, oh, my God. And one guy came back. He said to me, oh, my God. The new definition. The new definition of performance is silence. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I might have to write that down. And he and then he texted me later. He got into his you know older coupe and he said, "Oh my god, I feel like I just stepped back ten years." So that was the most hardened guy you can find. And I said to him, "Hey, I, you know, you think you're a petrol head. Um, actually, you're not. You're a performance enthusiast." And it just so happens that the new performance benchmark is now t- is now electric. Yeah. So and he said, "Oh my god, that's it!" And so I, that's how we knew it would it would work, um, because real people who are passionate about that loved it when they experienced it. And so and, and that was a there's a barrier on the Mustang because you know of that preconception. But on the F450, there's no barrier. Pe- people are like, "Well, maybe I try it." They tried EcoBoost once, and we changed their mind about EcoBoost. And so they quote that to me and say, well, I'm willing to give it a go now. And I put them in there in 30 seconds, and they're, they're like, I've got to have it. <laughs> so I'm really excited about that. And for people who want to see that torture test, just go to YouTube and, and search for Silver Creek Ford torture test, and you'll see what they do to these poor trucks. It's <laughs> it's quite astonishing to see the uh, the videos all right, so we have the Mustang out. We have the F-150 out, uh, although I think a lot of people are still waiting. You, you guys are pretty much sold out of the next 100,000 or some crazy number. Where, where are you with the current pre-sales and, and sales? Yeah, so um, it, it surprised us. So we knew that one day people will want uh, over 100,000 of these. It, it, we did not expect that in 2022 – Literally 220,000 people want one. We, we, we totally undercalled it. So did the whole industry, to be honest. Right. And we, so we, now we realize, you know, they're ready now. Um, because the point of the truck was the, the performance and power, yes, but that's not even what people talk about. What they talk about is this mega power front because it changes it into a new type of vehicle. You've now got a, a luggage space, which is basically the size of most medium-sized SUV, right, extra, right. 400 litres. And it and it's electronic the way it lifts and closes. So you can use it to put your groceries in or anything you want. And people want to put golf clubs in there, two sets and other things. So it changes the product. People are very excited about front gating as well, I noticed. Um, and then this backup power system where um, it, it uses bi-directional power and it will back up your home. Like a like a whole house generator for three days or up to ten days. This is what people are talking about. And then we decided to put it in at a price that is basically equivalent to gas, including the incentive. So thirty nine nine seven four, and no one expected that either. People expected twenty thousand more, and that meant the barriers of price have gone. So it's just about adoption and are you ready? And 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 that led to two hundred twenty thousand orders before we switched it off. So we started off at you know, a lower run rate, and this year we, we just, we're opening the ordering in batches because we want fairness. I mean, people are really, really excited about it, and we want fairness. So 
it will be mainly from the date when you put a person order uh, registered, and, it, and it's a reservation they have at the moment, not an order. And then we open up the ability for those those customers to order, and then they specify their vehicle and order, and then we give them a date about approximate date, which is really important to them. And once they've ordered, they've got a date, and we as long as our launch goes well, we'll be, we'll be honouring those dates. Um, so that's that's where we are. And we've opened up the 22 model year, and we so, we we sold them out now. Wow. Um, and so those customers all have dates, and we'll be opening up the next set um, in uh, August, around August, and then the next set of customers will be able to order, and that's a bigger batch. Um, and then the really big news is we have put in a capacity increase, a massive capacity capacity increase, which will hit around July next year. And we're going up to 150,000 units a year run rate. So when, when that wave hits, which will be from July next year, we will be able to satisfy demand in a much bigger way. Huh. Um, and so we'll, we'll keep opening these waves of orders, keeping it fair and letting customers keeping them informed about when they're going to get it. And we'll keep doing that until we fulfill all the orders. But there will be a big, big step up when we start ordering for the next July builds. That will be a, a much larger um, uh, capacity uplift. When cyber criminals strike, the difference between a catastrophic event and resilience is preparedness. Finance leaders who plan ahead can thwart the damage posed by ransomware. Yet in a recent EY poll, only 23% of directors expressed confidence in their organization's ability to respond to a ransomware attack. Cyber preparedness is just one facet of the complex risk landscape finance leaders face every day. Now more than ever, it's vital to keep ahead of developments. Cybercrime, macroeconomic conditions, ESG reporting. You can't predict the future, but you can prepare for it. By understanding your risk, you can make your business resilient to challenges on the road ahead. What's more, you can turn those risks into opportunities. EY helps CFOs, boards, and audit committees see beyond the numbers to uncover the critical insights that make their organizations resilient, even in an ever-shifting landscape. For more insights that matter, visit ey.com slash beyond the numbers. So, so last current EV I have to ask is the e-transit, which is your uh, large-size commercial van, which I think most car enthusiasts overlook. That's a workhorse. You guys have sold a bajillion of those. What, what was the thinking in terms of creating the e-transit van, and, and what are your expectations for sales there? Yeah, so I am just as excited about that product. So because of how I see it changing people's lives. So we created Ford Pro under Ted Canis, my great colleague, um, who now runs out as CEO of Ford Pro, and that's to focus on our fleet customers. And the thinking behind that, Ford is somewhat half of commercial vehicles and the best-selling commercial vehicles in the world, both in US and, and, and most of the rest of the world. So we, we needed to lead, and we saw an opportunity to create a transit van using the components from the Mac-E. And that meant we could get really good scale. And if one of them didn't sell, we could flex between them quite hell. We, in the end, this is not our problem. Our problem is not enough of either of them. Um, so that's, that's good and bad. But um, it uses a similar battery to the Mac-E, high-tech 
pouch cells, and he uses a motor system which he's evolved from the Mac E and the Integrate ISC controllers from the Mac E, which means great price, great scale, and it means we can offer a van. And this is what I'm so proud of. Uh, the price of these products is what I'm just as proud of because it means it can get into everybody's hands. That's what's important to us. So the transit in a lot of businesses will actually start paying back from the first day. You're not talking about paying in five years, in three years. I'm talking about the first day. And the running costs are something like half. And the, and the time off the road for servicing and so on is much, much less. So they have gone down really well. Um, it, in those businesses, you must match the mileage to the available very carefully. You do not carry extra battery. Right. That's inefficient. You're just carrying it around for nothing. And many of those routes are very known. And so a certain amount of the market, that product is ready to serve. Not the whole market yet, but a large, large proportion. So we expected that to go well. And it, that, again, has gone much better than expected. We're having to triple volume for that vehicle as well. And we're working on that now. And but what I hadn't expected is all the new use cases. So every day we're seeing new use cases. The obvious ones, I mean, we, we serve the whole market. You know, delivery, sure. which is one that people is very visible. This is only 10% of our sales. It's only 10% of the market. There's much bigger market. is every other use you can think of for a van. Um, and so that's what we serve with transit. Um, but I'll give you a new use case. So, we were launching Ford Pro in Sonoma a couple of weeks ago. Oh, um, and um, we did, decided to do that. Ted led this, decided to do it with a wine growing region. So we did it with uh, Francis Coppler um, and, and his estate. And he showed us, he, they have an innovation where they, to grow better wine, make better wine, they, at the moment, when they take the wine parcels, they put them in, they have to mix three parcels together in one vat because they don't have enough vats. And nearly all wine growers do that. Trouble is, you don't know which is the good parcel until a year later. So you have to mix them together. And now you, you mixed two good and one bad and you don't know and the wine is mediocre. So his innovation that he came up with with his team is to build a vat for every parcel. Now you have one parcel per vat Trouble is, you're not allowed to build above ground because uh, beautiful region. So he dug into a hillside and built it underground. So he, he showed us the new facility. It's amazing. It looks like a James Bond villain lair. <laughs> and um, he, he, and, he, and there's only you know there's only two vehicles you can use under there. One is a diesel van. Who wants a diesel van underground? That stage four is safe, so you can do that. You just you don't want to, or an electric van. So he converted his entire fleet to electric immediately and then never looked back. And so we announced this, we launched this with him um, a little while back. And and then, of course, there's I can't remember the number, but some insane number, like 30,000 wine-growing companies in the U.S., something like that, don't quote me. But, but basically, they all started contacting him. And said, what are you doing? Oh, yes, I'm making one vat per parcel. So my wine's just going to be top quality next year. Well, they took notice of that. Then the next group and the next group and the next group said, hey, why don't we do the same? And then he said, what kind of vehicles do you need? And, of course, he said, 
electric transit. So we now have orders coming in all over the place for electric transits for wine growing. And, and that's just one use case. Use, that's just one use case. And we, we hadn't even thought of that one. And then any time you need to bring a vehicle indoors, you can bring it indoors and they have power, pro power on board, which means you bring them indoors and plug power tools in the back. Right. And they have enough power to run proper power tools. So you imagine building factories, building homes, you just pull up the transit and start cutting wood through from the back of the transit. No generators, no noise, completely independent. So that's the use cases we, we expected to see. We're seeing huge ones. And, and the, but the one that I love most, got me really excited recently, was on the uh, F-150. That one has 9.6 kilowatts of power. That's a whole home. And there's a, I saw a startup where instead of getting takeaway food, imagine you have two couples over for dinner. Instead of getting takeaway food, this business, you, you book them online, they come to your driveway, open up the kitchen in the back and cook you dinner of your choice of, of that type. And they, and they feed it, you know, they, they give you the just cooked food on your driveway. And they're going to use electric F-150s because the electric power is enough to power all the cooking equipment, induction hobs, huh. so on. Really? Thought, How cool is that? Really? I, I can just imagine that scaling all over America, can't you? Really, really interesting. So let's talk a little bit about batteries. You became general manager uh, of battery EVs in, in 2021. Tell us about the thinking behind that new job and where it's going. Yeah, so um, that, that job, I, I used to be the product development director for Team Edison. So my role was in the design and development of the new cars, leading the teams. Obviously, a large team is involved in that. Um, but in 20, late, later on, they decided uh, they would like me to take the vehicles to market. Because there's so many elements there. There's the charge network and there's buying online and how Bev customers want to be treated differently. So I became general manager, which means it was everything to do with looking after the customer and bringing those vehicles that we had designed to market. Um, so um, that meant I talk with customers the whole time. I watch social media all the time, and I'm still very linked to the development teams to just make sure that we're learning quickly and we're evolving those vehicles. That That's really what the job is about. A fantastic job, by the way. I, I'm really enjoying it. So let's talk about the announcement that was made fairly recently. Uh, Ford's leadership decided it was time to go all in on EVs, and they're, I guess, splitting into two companies. Am I, am I getting that right? Tell us about the new structure that's coming. Yeah, so Team Edison led the first round which delivered at least these first three products that you're seeing. The market um, reacted really well to it. And then it, it was seen as now is the time to organize ourselves to really compete with the best out there for the next set of products because it's really a transformation. And it was determined, Jim Farley led the team to say, hey, I don't want people walk, waking up in the morning and having to think about how to grow gas and how to grow BEV, because they're so different. A BEV is not just a, a normal gas car with an electric motor and system. It's a completely new technology product. So he wanted to organize the teams so that, that they only are thinking about one of those. 
So that's how the team have organised. One is called Ford Blue, and one is called Model E. That's the electric one, obviously. Um, and there's also Ford Pro. And Ford Pro is all about the commercial customers and their their sales and support. They don't do the development. That will be done in the base uh, in Blue or in Model E. And it's an internal company organisation, I would call it. Um, and so the Model E team will be focused on everything about EVs, every aspect from the selection of motors and controllers and electronics for efficiency to the design and development of the vehicles to the network charging this bi-directional power system that we've got and how that will work with customers and improving the current vehicles because all of our electric vehicles are over-the-air updatable. And when we say we plan on delivering lots of updates for customers, we really mean that. And we have a huge cycle plan of updates and improvements to those vehicles to roll out. And so that will also be under Model E. Um, and so it's just to allow the team to really focus. We also will be setting up the same culture within that team as we did in, in Team Medicine, which is very flat structure, leadership supporting our employees to make changes for the customer, very efficient approval and a very um, can-do and inclusive mindset that, that brings in people from all walks of life and ethnicities to bear on the product development we're doing. So exactly like Team Medicine, to be honest, um, just on steroids. Um, so that's the plan. Um, and uh, as part of that, I, I'm taking a new role. I go back now to product development um, and I, I, I'll be um, VP of product develop, global product development for electric cars now under huh. Doug Field. Um, yeah, I can't, and I can't wait to start. So we'll talk more about some upcoming cars a little later. Let, let's stay with the concept of the infrastructure for EVs, and that's both battery and charging stations. How, how long do we think it's going to take before... Uh, charging stations are as ubiquitous uh, as gas stations. And I should preface that by saying Ford is part of a, a, a group that all have interoperable uh, technology. And there's about, I think, 13,000 charging stations in that consortium. Is that about right? Yes. Yeah, so there's, um, so we, we, are, we formed the Blue Oval Charging Network. And we considered how will we support the growth of the network who has to be huge investment and uh, across the whole of the country and, and also global actually and how might we support that so one way we could build our own networks you know we have resources we could do that but then would there be a ford network and a tesla network and a gm network and that's that's not good for customers we just want the charging network to be everywhere so instead we chose to put together every best network in America, every one of them. And we put them together under one system. It's under Blue Oval Ford Charge Network, and it's under the Ford Pass app. So when you buy a vehicle, you get free charging, certain amount. But more importantly, under one system, you, you've got automatic payment across that whole network. Uh, all the best ones are plug and charge now. We were the first people to launch that. So you just plug it in and the car detects automatically, sets up and pays. You just plug and walk away. Then you can monitor your car over the, over the air. Um, 
So that was our strategy. And the reason is, is because huge investment is going to come into that now. Now that companies see the cars coming, they're going to put huge investment in. So even before we talked on our podcast, we had 13,000 and 60,000. But we're we're already up to 90,000 now. 90,000 plugs. Because it's growing every day. Because, as I say, of the investment. And and they tend to be regional, the networks, east, west, in central, so on. Mm -hmm. So we we incorporate them really fast. So really just a a couple of weeks. And we made a software system that is very easy to integrate with. And so no, nobody ever said no to us. All of the networks are in. And and it will grow hugely. It, will, it is the biggest network in America today. And, and we need to do more to communicate that because I notice people don't know that yet. I didn't know that. Um, and but, I've, um, I've spent a yeah. week researching um, what you guys are doing. That that's a, that's a surprising data point that I think would could be a deciding factor for someone who has range anxiety, even though we know 90% of the trips are, are all local. This is correct. And so I definitely am going to amp it up this year to communicate that. But one of the reasons I wanted to hold on that is because I need to make sure the quality is there. Because the risk of, if you've got multiple networks, is the quality is not there. So we are remotely monitoring all of the stations. And you would think that's enough. For a while, we thought that might be enough. But it's not, actually, because the terminals are, you know, they have payment systems on them, and it has to go through quite a few steps before it triggers. And if one of those steps goes wrong, it doesn't allow you to charge. So we found that in some cases, the system looks like it's working and doesn't. And so we decided to put out um, a group of people, they're called the Ford Charge Angels, and they are roaming the network with highly instrumented vehicles. In fact, we had to specially order the instrumentation systems. They're very unique because they monitor all of the signals going between the car and the network. And they are roaming the network with the sole mission to test charges everywhere, especially if there are hot spots. And then when we know there's a problem, they, we, we're very connected to the charging networks. We've got the CEOs on speed dial, and we either ask them to repair. And if they cannot repair in a time that we deem effective for our customers, we remove them from the network so that, so that customers are never sent to a faulty charger. And, uh, and we can do that really fast now. We developed a system to do that. Um, and... Um, the networks often fix it there and then if they can't and it's not quick enough we take it out so that you do not get rooted there um and we're unique in doing that at the moment we're the only company doing that when cyber criminals strike the difference between a catastrophic event and resilience is preparedness finance leaders who plan ahead can thwart the damage posed by ransomware Yet in a recent EY poll, only 23% of directors expressed confidence in their organization's ability to respond to a ransomware attack. Cyber preparedness is just one facet of the complex risk landscape finance leaders face every day. Now more than ever, it's vital to keep ahead of developments. Cybercrime, macroeconomic conditions, ESG reporting. You can't predict the future, but you can prepare for it. By understanding your risk, you can make your business resilient to challenges on the road ahead. What's more, you can turn those risks into opportunities. 
EY helps CFOs, boards, and audit committees see beyond the numbers to uncover the critical insights that make their organizations resilient, even in an ever-shifting landscape. For more insights that matter, visit ey.com slash beyond the numbers. You're coming up on 100,000 um, chargers, so if you're looking for an excuse to make a big announcement, I would imagine that number is as, as good a reason as any, but, but let's talk about charge times. One of the complaints some EV buyers who've been dragging their feet have, have mentioned has been the long charge times. What's the future of this technology look like? Will we ever get to a point where the seven-minute or five-minute fill-up that you would get at gasoline you could do with uh, electricity? What's, what's the best we can hope for? Yeah, so one of the things I'll say is, and this is like when, you know, you have a flip phone and you're looking at iPhone technology and you think you know what an iPhone is, but until you owned one, you didn't really know what it does. It's like saying, hey, my flip phone lasted four days and my iPhone has to be charged every day. Therefore, I don't want an iPhone. It's like saying that. But when you own an iPhone, you realize you just plug it in at night. And it fits perfectly with your life. If you go on a long trip with an iPhone, you might sometimes charge it with a backup battery or a quick plug-in because you know you're going to be using it all day. So, but nobody, nobody went back from an iPhone right. to a flip phone. And BEVs are the same. The perception from people is, oh, I need a vehicle that's exactly the same as my right. gas vehicle. This is a massively common misconception. For example... I've owned a Mac E for now a year and a half. I never had a car for more than a year and a half as my company car. And every day it's plugged in at my home and I leave every day with a full tank. When I go on a business trip, I leave to the airport with 100%. I never, ever stop to interrupt my day to fill my car up. Not once, in a year and a half, because it's already always ready. And that's what people forget about this. The, the thought of having to go and get gas while I'm about to go somewhere and I've forgotten to fill it is horrifying to me now. It makes me angry. And then when I go on a longer trip, I, t- I type it into a, the route planner system and it tells me where to stop and when. And I drive for three hours and then I stop. I plug it in and walk away. It takes me precisely 10 seconds to charge my car. I plug it and I go and do something else. I go and get a coffee or I go shopping. There's many of the sites have shops next door or I pull out my laptop and catch up with mail. By the time I look back up again, I realize I've overstayed it and my car's now fully charged most of the time, to be honest. Or I talk to a, somebody who's come to talk about the car. That happens a lot as well. Hmm. But really, you know, it's a different way of thinking about it. it. It takes me 30 seconds to charge my car because I plug it in and then I'm doing something else. And most owners of modern devs will feel the same about it you know so so i wanted to say that first because that changes your life and your way you think about these products now later um it takes on a typical trip the car will usually take about 20 minutes to charge because it, it usually hops you between fast chargers and it will favor the fastest chargers and on most trips you'll stop and you're trying to get to a destination. So it will boost you quickly. The beginning part of the charge is faster than the later part. So it will tend to optimize you by charging maybe 20 minutes or 22 minutes or something. That's just long enough to go and get a sandwich 
restroom and back to the car, really. And they're off again. So that's what it tends to do. Now, do we have technology later that will charge even faster? Yes, we do. Like 800-volt systems, and they will charge even faster, you know, under 20 minutes for the entire charge from, you know, 10 to 80%. Yes, these are coming as well. But honestly, it makes less difference to your trip than you think it does. So instead of 22 minutes, you're there for 10, okay? But you, as I say, you plug and then go and do something else, mostly. Huh. So they will get better, but, it, but but cars are ready now. It's a common misconception. We don't need to wait. With 300-mile cars, and we're up to 323 now, with, with that plus the network that's out there, we're ready immediately. Especially, I mean, a lot of customers are using it as their second car. It's a complete no-brainer. So um, it's just uh, we have to do more to communicate to that to customers and bring customers along with us. 300 miles means that if you're driving 60 to 70, which is what the highways by me are, that that's four, five, six hours of driving. You still need to get out, stretch your legs, go to the bathroom occasionally. Yes, that's right. And most people won't go below 10%. You know, they're a bit nervous, so they don't usually go below. So you have to save that 30. So it's like 270 miles. But you're right. If you're going faster, it'll be a little bit less, but it's quite a long time, and um, most people need to stop and rest. Um, yeah. And and then you just build it into your day. Like I say, you you st- when I'm on going somewhere for a business trip, I stop halfway, plug it in, get a coffee, and I catch up on some mail. And, and so usually, but it's, I, I get into it, I look up and oops, I've stayed longer, and now I'm really fully charged. I didn't just boost it; I charge right the way back up to eighty or ninety percent now. And off I go again, and I arrive with too much range, and then plug in at the hotel. It's ready the next day, so it, it just fits into your life more than you think it does. Mm-hmm. And uh, the F one fifty over three hundred miles wrote very robustly over three hundred miles. Uh, so that one's even even better. So, so the folks who are shopping for five hundred mile range, or even talking about eight hundred and a thousand mile range. Uh, that seems, based on what you're saying, that really seems like it's unnecessary and not practical because the human element, even with driver assist, the human element is still going to get fatigued and still needs to occasionally stretch their legs. So, you know, there are use cases for those vehicles, and only one really does that kind of range at the moment. And and so that's some customers need that. So that's okay. But um, But you are carrying, it's not like gas. You, you are carrying extra weight with you. Mm-hmm. And and every day that is costing you money and, and it is changing the performance of the car and it has all that weight for handling. So carrying a 500-mile battery when you really do 30 miles a day is a real waste. Um, so, you, you know, there's an optimum, I would say. And, and for some use cases, you know, that's okay, uh, but it's, it's a rare use case. Um, and so we're seeing once you reach 300, it, it really changes the impression of the customers. They've become much more confident um, around the, just over 300 miles. So last battery question. Um, one of the issues I, I've read about is the question of either recycling or re- reusability of EV batteries. Is, are either of those uh, anywhere off on the horizon? Oh, yes. So th- that's super important to us. Um, and and um, for two reasons. Um, it's becoming clear that the supply of batteries and, and all of the comp- um, chemicals needed 
are a real challenge. And as the whole world ramps up to electric vehicles, it will split into those that are able to get the materials and batteries and those that are not. And if somebody hasn't started already and is very far advanced into that, they're going to have a huge problem. And so that's why you've seen that we invested um, over $11 billion in Blue Oval City, the largest that I know of investment of its kind in America. And it builds an entire city to build trucks and then and also two plants so far for batteries, um, a huge amount of batteries. And it also vertically integrates the chemical supply required for the batteries. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first stage. So because we know that we need to secure enough batteries for millions of cars. Where is that plant uh, to build those batteries located? Tennessee. Tennessee. Because uh, am I remembering this correctly? The Mach-E was made, I, I think, in Canada or Mexico. I don't remember which. It's, it's Mexico, yes, because uh, that was the next plant that we had available. Um, um, so that's why we went there. Um, you know, we, we're going to be using lots of our plants. And, um, and, 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 and we'll fill them up as we go. So we, we kind of fill them up with whichever plant is ready mm-hmm. and, and some other factors. That's, that's why that one was Mexico. And the F-150 is in Dearborn. Um, and so we'll st- start filling up all our, our, our gas plants uh, one at a time. So the Blue Oval City Complex is six miles square wow. in West Tennessee. Um, and the battery park correction is Central Kentucky. Um, with twin battery plants. So, yeah, it's it's huge investment, but a really exciting one. And the one you asked me is about recycling. So we tied with Redwood Materials. J.B. Strobel was one of the founders of Tesla, and he now runs a company called Redwood Materials. They have very high ambitions in recycling. And we are partnered with them. And so we are beginning now using... um, scrap from battery production to recycle it to produce materials for new battery production Hmm. and as the batteries start coming back we're going to start using them to extract materials and reuse them back into our supply plan it does two things one it secures battery supply when some of these chemicals and materials could become scarce and it also allows us to reduce the price. And we have some quite ambitious price targets for that recycled material. And, I mean, they're commodities, so they move up and down every day. You know, in some cases, it looks very good value compared to buying on the open market. And your market forces will determine the price of those chemicals. So we're one of the biggest operations that I know of to do that. And they will be on site in Blue Oval City from the start. Huh, really quite fascinating. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that we're looking at in the future. You mentioned how proud you are of the price points that you've introduced uh, cars like the Mach-E or the E-Transit or the 150 Lightning. Uh, What do you think is going to happen going forward in terms of pricing? Uh, I not a not a battery hybrid, but a regenerative, I guess, P uh, HEV hybrid. The Maverick was priced at uh, pretty inexpensive, twenty two thousand dollars for a a compact four door pickup truck. How cheap can battery EVs get in the future? 
Well, today, so the the F-150 Lightning, with the included incentive that's available, is really in the range right now of gas F-150. It's right in the heartland of where we sell most of them. So I could argue that today we have a, the, one of the first vehicles that has reached parity with an equivalent truck. And I say equivalent, yet the electrics faster than any F-150 we ever made, more torque than any F-150 we ever made, quieter, handles better, et cetera, et cetera, than any F-150 ever. And it starts at the price of the gas. So there's one segment where we've managed to achieve it. That one is with the incentive, so that's helped us, helps it bring to bring it to more people. Um, we are working on other vehicles not announced yet to bring the vehicles to, to more people, a lower-cost vehicle. Um, I can't say anything more about it at the moment, okay. but that's one of our missions and part of the huge investments we're making in batteries is obviously supporting that because the biggest component by far is the battery. And already I can say that a Mach-E is a similar cost to run over five years as a Ford Escape. The total cost spent is the same as a Ford Escape already. So that is also supported by an incentive at the moment. But that's amazing. For those that wake up to see that now, they're getting a huge bargain. And the charging network's already reached 90,000 plugs. So they're available everywhere. And there's hardly anyone there yet. So you also have the network to yourself. So it's AV ownership at the moment is just fantastic. You'll also find the parking spot for many places right next to the entrance because that's where the electric spot is. And they're half empty as well. So when you drive there, you feel like a VIP. So it's a really good time to get into them now. Um, but we, you know, we do have plans to bring vehicles that are even lower cost. Um, and, huh. and we're moving to more segments. So the three row is our next one along, where a real family car size that is so popular in America. So currently the Ford Explorer, which I think comes with a third row, is available hybrid. You mentioned you're looking to do a three-row SUV. Can we assume we're going to see an e-Explorer sometime soon? So, yeah, we've announced that we're working on that one. It's, it's, it's a three-row, and the Explorer is indeed three-row. Uh -huh. um, so we're working on that now. But I would say it's the same segment as a three-row Explorer. I wouldn't call it an e-Explorer at okay. this point. We, we, we intend to reinvent what these vehicles can be. And again, it will not be an Explorer with an electric motor in it. It will be a new, a vehicle that offers new experiences that are as game-changing as bi-directional power and mega power funkies for the F-150. But, but something, things that are designed to delight the customers in this segment, the things they want in their daily lives. I won't say more about it yet, but okay. it intends to be a, a, an incredible vehicle again. So previously you said... EV adoption is similar to the process that the iPhone had to go through. Any any groundbreaking product requires a, a readjustment into your life. Uh, is that what you're seeing with EV adoption? Once people make it part of their routine, it's no longer the electric car. It just becomes the car? Oh, yes. I mean, universally, when people make the switch, no one goes back. It's the only analogy and the one I try to get across to people to use is the whole moving to iPhone or smartphone from flip phone. 
No one goes back. And before people moved, they didn't know that. They thought they understood what an iPhone was and because it looks similar to right, similar to a phone, but they don't didn't realize what it really is. And, and, and once they owned it, then they suddenly switched. They'll never go back and they told everyone they know. So EVs are exactly the same. Huh. The, the most misleading thing about EVs is they look like a car and therefore you think it's like the cars you've known all your life and it's nothing like that. Huh. So, so the more people we can get in there to feel it, the more people it will convert quickly. So let's talk about that. You know, a lot of people a few years ago were projecting 2040, 2035. It doesn't feel like it's going to take that long. Where do you think the EV market is as percentage of new vehicle sales in 2025 or, or 2030? Yeah, so if you think every person who gets one will never go back, that's pretty much the rule. Right. Then you start thinking about how fast is that going to take? Now, it took 10 years for the iPhone to get everywhere. Right. And, you know, and now all similar phones, right? So it took time for that because people take time. And um, so projections, we change weekly you know, because we're trying to keep ahead of it. We, we, we intend to be a push ahead of the market. Um, and we're saying, you know, glo globally, half of our production is going to be um, electric by 2030. And that's millions of vehicles huh. a year. When do you um, think the last but, internal combustion engine car new <laughs> is manufactured in the U.S.? Oh, that's impossible to tell. There's, a, there's some use cases that are particularly difficult to solve for battery. Uh -huh. I actually think it will run for long, a long time, but they will be, they won't, they'll be, you know, for specific reasons or for price. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's why they will keep going. The best products will be electric. Huh. It's like, I mean, even if you look at tools, I recently bought a lithium-ion leaf blower. And the first generation were a little bit less powerful than gas and much more expensive. Well, this next generation, I had a choice. Same as gas and just a little bit more expensive or much more powerful than gas and more expensive. And that, that happened in just a couple of years. By the way, it's much quieter, much more controllable, and I'm never going back to a gas one. But there are use cases for gas leaf blowers still um, in certain cases. Right? So I think gas will run for a long time. It will be increasingly regulated for emissions, and it will get more and more expensive to regulate for emissions. And there'll be less and less reason to, to need it. But I believe there'll be a reason for a while, so it was impossible to predict at the moment. So so let's talk about interior design in electrics. Um, I think Tesla gets the credit or the blame for just removing just about every manual mechanical button and putting it on the screen. I personally have found that to be frustrating, if especially when I'm driving and it's three uh, nested three levels in and I have to take my off the road because I just want to lower the fan or increase the heat. What sorts of buttons should stay um, a mechanical button? Like if I want to put my seat heater on, why do I have to dig my way through three or four menus and, and go down? Uh, just the Just the air conditioning heating system, can we please keep that as mechanical buttons? 
So here's the way we think about it. So how, how many buttons on the front of your iPhone? None. Okay, do you miss right? them? Would you like me to put some buttons on the front of your iPhone? Actually, yeah, I I have the on the side. I have the volume and the on off, which which. But the it's the things that I use every time I get into the car. I don't want to go digging that's for. Right. And by the way, uh, half my cars true. have too many buttons. I have, you know, there are vehicles that have, you know, it looks like it's a fighter jet. I don't need that either. I, I like the idea of the the screen. But, you know, the the heat, the seat warmers are a perfect example. And one of the things I thought was so interesting about the Mach-E was the volume button was a physical button at the bottom of the screen. And when you turn the screen on, it I believe the same set of haptic touch buttons are at the bottom of the screen always. Am I am I remembering that correctly? You, you are. So, so the philosophy is this. This is the reason why I asked you that question. The philosophy is... Um, you you want to do better than buttons, okay? That's the philosophy. And the ones that you need when you need them should be first surface. The whole point is that you do not have to dig and you have access to it when you need it. And that's the skill in getting that just right. There are some things you need buttons for or, or control sticks, like the indicator. I imagine we're going to have the control stick for a long time because you use it all the time. And, and it works really well. So don't take that away. And certain other things like the button to get out of the car, you really need that. Um, but other buttons are, can be better when we can move them or change them to context. So, for example, you mentioned I want heated seat immediately. So, yes, we keep the heated seat on first surface at all times on the Mackie. Um, and you want access to the heating controls. Absolutely. And temperature and so on. So, we and we launched the car with a set of buttons uh, uh, that are pervasive. They're always there. Then our customers gave us feedback, and they want an extra button or one taken away, or they want the hood released to appear when they stop. Now, with an electronic screen, you can change it, and we're about to change it over the air. Actually, we're going to do a big human machine interface refresh this year, and we're going to listen to the feedback from customers and make it better. And that's the great thing about a, a digital screen. You can make it better. Where a physical button is there, and you can't. Right. I'll give you an example. Um, a button for the cameras on uh, our vehicle. People say, I've got to have the button on a, on a truck. I'm always using the camera. So I say, well, at the moment, you have to press the button once for the front, press it again for the rear, press it again for another view, and, and you press it so many times, and you get it wrong, and you cycle back around again. Right. Instead... As soon as that sensor senses something nearby when you're at low-speed parking, it automatically brings up the cameras. And then it presents you with the direct camera button for the feed that you want. And then it remembers the one you use most. So now you pull up to the parking space. It automatically brings up your favorite camera. You don't touch anything. If you don't like it and you want a different view today, you just one touch a new view instead of pressing the same button four times. So that's you know another example of you think you want the button until you have a system that works better. Now, we understand you can't always guess perfect, so you always give the customer the controls, but you bring them at the right time. You don't need the camera button when you're at 60 miles an hour. So that's the design, and we never get it perfect first. So we have over-the-air update, and we keep improving it. 
Um, and huh. that, that control knob you mentioned, is that's an amazing piece of technology. It's brand new. It's molecularly bonded to the screen, first in industry. And that's actually, it's actually like an input device. It's not, it's not just a volume knob. And we're going to unlock that in the next in the software update later this year. It's going to so that it can control lots of things because it's very pleasing when you turn it. And it feels good and it can control volume, but we can also make it control temperature, heat, and other things. And huh. we can use it for gaming as well. So we're about to unlock that button. It was always planned. We couldn't get there for job one, but but now we have customer input, so we're going to make it better. When cyber criminals strike, the difference between a catastrophic event and resilience is preparedness. Finance leaders who plan ahead can thwart the damage posed by ransomware. Yet in a recent EY poll, only 23% of directors expressed confidence in their organization's ability to respond to a ransomware attack. Cyber preparedness is just one facet of the complex risk landscape finance leaders face every day. Now more than ever, it's vital to keep ahead of developments. Cybercrime, macroeconomic conditions, ESG reporting. You can't predict the future, but you can prepare for it. By understanding your risk, you can make your business resilient to challenges on the road ahead. What's more, you can turn those risks into opportunities. EY helps CFOs, boards, and audit committees see beyond the numbers to uncover the critical insights that make their organizations resilient, even in an ever-shifting landscape. For more insights that matter, visit ey.com slash beyond the numbers. So I, I have two other questions I have to, or three other questions I have to ask you before we get on to our favorite questions. The first you hinted at earlier, I was reading you're prowling on social media looking for people complaining about their products and helping them resolve whatever issues they have. You personally call them. T- tell us about, about what you've, why you do that and what you've learned from that. Yeah, as, as part of the launch of the vehicle and watching startups, we learned how they watch social media because these are exciting product, products. So people talk about them all the time. So there's a, there are forums like the Mac E forum for for, for Mac E, obviously, and mm-hmm. and it's a rich source of direct customer feedback. The customers are taking video, photographs, big descriptions about what they see, both positive and negative, and it's the richest source of input I've ever had. So I watch it every morning. My whole team watch it every morning. My wife's sick of me watching videos <laughs> every minute I get because the customers are telling you directly what they see. You, you can't buy that. And then we use that to, to develop the cars. So that's why I watch that. Then I see customers struggling with things we've already fixed. And um, it, at first, the buyers of the premium Mackie, they were really bev people they really did their research they either are experienced before or they've done a lot of research and so they all help each other you watch them struggling and then they help each other and they they've learned it now it's no problem but when we went with the gt i'm noticing more customers are having basic problems because they they haven't learned the basics of ev they just love the car so much so they bought one so those customers i'm seeing that and i call them because i want to hear from them what they're experiencing and every time I never hear what I think I'm going to I think I know I speak to them it is almost never exactly the same so I I do that a couple of times a week I ask the permission of course they love that 
there hasn't been one that I haven't ended up with an, on an hour on the phone with them, hearing about their experiences and you know their family and how they're using the car and so on. And they're the richest source of input. And then I work out how might I help people like them. And for example, with the newer cars, they don't know the basics of EV. They don't know that EVs drop range in the cold. Right. They don't know how much power that their heater can use, especially if they left it outside and the whole battery's at minus 10 degrees C. Right. They don't know to preheat. They don't know that the car will heat its battery when it's plugged in. It will make sure the battery is kept optimum. They don't know that. And finally, they don't know how to reset their driver history. The car has learned their behaviors over a week and, and it will give you an accurate range. It's very accurate. But if the customer's not been looking after the car as a BEV owner, then their range is going to drop a lot. And they can instantly reset it back and then change their behavior and they will see the results immediately. So they don't know any of those things. And I show them that. They're usually super delighted. And then they've learned how to control their car. They change the, you know, the temperature a couple of degrees. They use the heated seat and steering wheel and they preheat the car. Their range goes from a massive loss to like 5% loss. And then they write to me afterwards and they're just absolutely delighted. So, and now I go back to my team and say, how are we going to show customers? We have put it in the instructions. We have put it on the app. We have sent them messages and we do tell them to plug the car in if the temperature's cold every time they exit the car when it's cold. But they, they don't know why they've got to do it. So some customers just ignore all of that and, oh. until we speak to them. So we're trying to think of how to help them. And, and I'm, I'm, we're trying everything. It's basically psychology. So I'm, I'm thinking of all different methods and we're brainstorming how will we do it. And different customers, each one's different and have their own ways. But you know, one way I'm considering at the moment is a kind of competitive way where we say to you, hey, did you know you're in the bottom third of range for this car? And that'll make the customer say, hey, why am I in the bottom third? And then we'll explain to them. And now they're listening. Because so they're you're, interested. you're so bringing a little, of, uh, a little Peloton gamification to managing range. That's right. To, to get their attention so that they care. I mean, many customers know already, but a lot don't. And as we go mainstream, there will be more of those. So it's really fun to do it. But that's why I call customers. It's great fun anyway. I love, I love talking to them huh. um, so, so and, I, and hearing feedback. Really interesting. I, I know you do a lot of traveling. You you previously discussed an interesting scenario in Shanghai about how families seat within a vehicle and how different it is from the U.S. Can you explain that and tell us about some other differences you see uh, in customers around the world? How, how do different users uh, use their vehicles differently? Oh, yes. So we're all humans with similar needs, but... Um, Due to cultural uh, changes, we behave differently. So we were developing a global vehicle, and China's one of the leaders in electric vehicle development. So we spent a long time there, actually. I, I think I was 16 weeks in China in total that year. And we we did human-centric development, which means you don't ask them what they want. You watch them, with their permission, of course, and, and watch them with their families. And, and we had people to translate for us, not just the language, but the what's going on. And frankly, if I'd been watching them without those people, I would have missed it. And, and they would, we'd watch them in the car and where they sit, and then we'd ask them questions, and then the person, the person would say, did you see that? i say, see what? So did you see how the question was asked of the 
uh, man. And before he answered, he looked at the grandmother. No, I didn't see that. said, yeah, what, do you know why that is? I don't know what it is. That's because typical in Chinese culture, the grandmother will be buying that first car for the family. And so, and the, and the grandmother also will, will take, uh, will bow to the child. The child will be in the second row. So the grandmother will be either next to the child or in the third row because the mother will be in the second row looking after the child. So the third row of the car is super important because the grandmother's buying the car. I said, my God, we never would have known that. And we did not give the attention to the third row the same as the first row. That would not have been our plan. And so things like that, you can only get by watching people and learning. And and even if you ask a Chinese person, what's different about here? No no one can answer what's different between me and everybody else because they don't know what to say. You have to watch them and say, oh, look, look, that's different to what we know. So that's, that's, that's one there. That's one observation of many, many, many. But that that taught us a lot. And when they're evaluating to buy that car, the grandmother will get will come will come with them, will sit in that third row, and will give them their opinion on the car. And the, and and the buyer is going to pay attention to that grandmother, huh. just because of cultural and also the fact they're buying the car. So that's one. Um, others in I'd say Europe, many more people don't have garage a garage. So they can't put a charger in. And so they're very interested in how they're going to own an electric car having to go and charge it. And that does require some change to your life. And you can build that into your life, but you do have to consider it. So they they have different priorities for charging speed and where there's charges available to them and so on. So we're having to make sure we make vehicles that suit their life. They typically want the 800-volt vehicles that charge faster because they're going to have to go and sit there every week. Um, I also asked some other customers about how they live with their cars. And um, one guy, I asked him, I said, hey, would you want us to change that charging speed to 15 minutes? And he said, no way. <laughs> I said, oh, that surprises me. He said, that's the best 40 minutes of my week. <laughs> he said, I go out, I sit there, read a book and charge the car. I said, okay, I hadn't expected that. As I say, your customers don't say what you expect when you ask them. Huh. Quite, quite interesting. I'm going to throw you one curveball question before we get to our favorites, and that is, I have to assume you saw the film Ford versus Ferrari. What were your thoughts on that story? And you grew up in London. Were you a fan of Ken Miles? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. So, I mean, we love that story. We we um we all went as a team to watch that, uh, to watch the, you know, the struggle. I mean, and it's all about, you know, people feeling you can't do something. And then overcoming it, you know, that's what, you know, of course it's all about. And the corporate Ford there, you know, it's, it's fun to watch. Right? It's, it's done in a really cool way, but really it's also about cars and about pushing yourselves to win. And when you didn't expect it, we all love that. We felt a little bit, you know, uh, no one expected us to win with an electric car. When, when we said we were introducing electric car, I think it's fair to say most of the world did not expect us to, to, to be the number one recommended car this year with consumer reports in our first generation i mean i've got to say that's kind of a stretch even for us we expected to do well but that is beyond what we what we achieved was we respect what has gone before us so we saw the um, alignment of that film with some of the work we were doing 
Um, and Ken Miles was a super unique individual in this. He's got his flaws, like all heroes, they've got their flaws. So uh, we, we loved that. We all went to watch it together. We've, we've watched it many times. Really interesting. Well, I know I only have you for a few more minutes, so let me jump to my favorite questions that we ask all of our guests. Uh, starting with, what have you been streaming these days? Have you had a whole lot of time to watch anything on um, Netflix or Amazon or anything like that? So I've got twi twin boys as well, 10-year-olds. So mm -hmm. it's work and uh, family. That's it. <laughs> and um, But when I, I listen every week, I listen to the Inside EVs podcast, Tom Malogny and Dominic and Kyle. Um, they are super geek about electric. And um, I find it fascinating every week. Uh, I, I met, I've met them and we've, we've been through some of the cars together. Taking Tom in the F-150 for the first time was amazing. He's a super experienced with the EVs and he was still amazed by the product. So he was the journalist I referred to. It was so cool to see him so excited about it. He's ordered one, one of the first people to get it. So um, I love that podcast because it's so detailed and they go into so much and they care so much about getting it right. They've worked with EVs for 15 years or more. So that's what, that's one of the first things I listen to when, I, when I've got time. I, I, use, I do it when I'm doing other tasks. I listen to it every week. Huh, really interesting. Tell us about your mentors who helped shape your career. Yeah, so um, I, I always loved Virgin and what they did there. So external, let's say, because they're totally focused on the customer. As I went through my career, that's the thing that I grew to do. That's my trademark. I, I love just making amazing stuff that they love. So uh, he is obsessed by customer. Um, and, and so that, that's one of the things I, you know, he, he was an inspiration and still is now. And, and I saw how that worked out, you know, it's, it's, you know, look after the customer and everything else will look after itself. Um, I had early mentors in engineering who were superb engineers. Um, and one guy, uh, a guy called Franz Lehmann, um, he was retiring and in, in, in Germany, I, I worked in Germany for 10 years. And, and when he went to do his, um, retirement do they had to move it and we didn't know why um, and he and they moved it to the showroom and he turned up to the showroom there were three thousand people there wow everybody from the site had turned up it was unbelievable it was a very moving speech on stage um, and uh, and I, I have formed a habit of interviewing those who were retiring i asked them and always not one ever said no and I sat down with him and I said, could you give me one piece of advice? Because the guy had been so effective, so loved, had done so much good. So, you know, one, could you tell me one thing that you, um, that you would pass on? And he said, yep, straight away. And he said, at the beginning of my career, I, 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 I would focus on the most academic, the most brilliant, and this is how I would choose people. But by the end of my career, I, I also I saw a different I saw a person who wanted to do it so bad, they'd do anything. They'd learn everything they needed to about it. And all of our employees are, are very educated. You know, we're lucky we educate from great um, institutions. So they're all they're all clever. But the one when somebody really wants it, they're prepared to do anything to work to get it. He said those people always do well because they want it so bad. And he said, that's how I recruited people from then on. And I never forgot that. When I'm interviewing now, if someone's not perfect background, that doesn't matter. 
if if they've got they've learned about the subject and they want it badly, I will give that person a chance. And I, and, and it's never worked out wrong since. So that was an early me- mentor, maybe ten years ago. But I never forgot that. So that's that's how I fill my teams up now. Huh, really interesting. Let's talk about books. What are some of your favorites and, and what are you reading right now? Yeah, so um, Team of Teams mm-hmm. um, by G- General Stanley McChrystal and David Silverman. Amazing. He's using the story of uh, the teams in Afghanistan and what they faced and how to uh, – and, and then its relation to business. And, and it's really about instead of one person at the top telling everyone what to do and they all have to come to them and they're a bottleneck, instead you make teams of teams. Each of your teams, you make sure you're aligned on what you're trying to do and then you give them the space to operate and you trust them. And you can be much more effective that way. And that's what they found in Afghanistan. Each team was um, independent and could, could operate even without communication back to the central um, amazing. So that's one. Another one's called Nudge. Sure. Um, Cass Sunstein and Richard Tyler. Just amazing about how um, a lot of companies and society nudge you every day. And you have no idea how much you're being nudged. Um, it, 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 but it's super important. And when you're developing cars and products, if you nudge someone where the right button is, they'll press the button. If you don't, they whiz, you know they can't work out where the button is. So they use it in supermarkets and all the things you might imagine. It's a fascinating book. I really, so I really recommend that um, that you know, your, uh, your listeners uh, read that one. It's just a wonderful book. Quite interesting. And our final two questions: What sort of advice would you give to a recent college grad who is interested in a career in either automotive design and manufacturing, or battery and and electronic technology? So I would say, you know, do your research, um, look at what customers are saying, and 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 think about what you would like to do as part of that, and, and then and and build your knowledge up first, show your interest in it, and then approach some companies who you feel are, are moving in that space, who you think may be leading or winning in that space. Um, and once upon a time, that was really Silicon Valley. Uh, and you, know, you see that was really moving. But I, I believe now, you know, you're seeing uh, automotive companies uh, showing they're moving into technology, some extremely interesting technology, and we have a battery electric vehicle future and autonomous. I think it's one of the most exciting sectors. And if you come to these, you can make a difference here. You're not just a number. You you will have you'll be able to train and and make a real difference in products that are the second most expensive thing that people buy in their lives. Huh. And I think I think I would say there was a time when people said, "Hey, all cars are going to be similar soon, and they'll all be a commodity." And that made me very sad. And I think we've seen the first round of battery electric vehicles couldn't be more wrong. They're, really? they're nothing like that. They're just like gas in the fact that there's a whole suite of products with different attributes and feel to them and there's a new level of performance that we could never do with gas as well so it's even more exciting than ever before so i I think this sector is extremely important so look for some of the companies that you admire in that space don't forget about the oem automotive companies because i think there's nowhere i would rather be than in this company doing this this is even more exciting than the startups to me because we're going to change the world with this 
so fascinating. And our final question, what do you know about the world of technology, automobile manufacturing, design today that you wish you knew 25 years ago or so when you were first getting started out? Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it took, it took me years of working as an engineer in my little world, taking targets from whoever gave, you know, gave them from above and working in my closed area with goggles on. Right. That, that's how I worked for many, many years. I didn't, I wasn't looking up to where my contribution played into the full vehicle. They didn't really encourage that either. And I wish I'd said, hold on a minute, what am I doing and why? And is that world-class and how can we push the boundaries? If I'd done that earlier, it all would have been even more exciting. So it's just, you tend to get into a job and, and especially in, I guess the big OEMs, you're a small cog in a big system. I wish I'd looked up earlier to where does the small cog fit in and why? And I'm encouraging everyone in our company to do that now. And, and certainly everybody in modeling is going to be doing that. So oh. that's what I wish I knew 30 years ago. I wish I'd kept that wider view while I'm – it's important to get into details and work on details, very important. But you also must keep that overview of where does this fit in and, fit in and why. Huh, really quite fascinating. Darren, thank you for being so generous with your time. We have been speaking to Darren Palmer. He is the general manager of Battery Electric Vehicles at Ford. If you enjoy this conversation, well, be sure and check out any of our previous uh, podcasts that we've done over the past eight-plus years. You can find them at iTunes, Spotify, Acast, wherever you feed your podcast fix. We love your comments, feedback, and suggestions. You can write to us at mibpodcast at bloomberg.net. You can sign up for my daily reading list at Ritholtz.com. Follow me on Twitter at Ritholtz. I would be remiss if I did not thank the crack team that helped put these conversations together each week. Mohamed Ramawi is my audio engineer. Sean Russo is my researcher. Paris Wald is my producer. Atika Valbrun is our project manager. I'm Barry Ritholtz. You've been listening to Masters in Business on Bloomberg Radio. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.